Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Seifer, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. Now, speaking of that Instagram page, I have been grading every pick of the first round as of late, and I highly recommend checking that out because I haven't only been giving a grade to every pick. I've been writing like a short, you know, description, short reasoning for why I gave every pick the grade that I give them. So, you know, if you're a fan of one of these young rebuilding teams, like, I don't know, the Seahawks or the Saints or the Jets or Giants, you might want to look at the grade I gave your team, you know, because these are the players that are building the foundation for your team for the future, right? So you're going to want to see what everyone thinks. And I think I have a very good analysis of all these picks. So, you know, not only fans of rebuilding teams, but anyone that's just a fan of football, for those of you that really want to get an opinion on, you know, these upcoming stars or maybe upcoming busts, I highly recommend checking out my Instagram page. I've also been posting on Twitter at no huddle NFL underscore again, no huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. So yeah, if you want more of my content, I highly recommend checking out my Twitter, my Instagram, you know, I've been posting stuff on all those platforms. And if you just want more content from me, I highly recommend checking those out. But let's get into this episode of the podcast, right? I am so happy that we're starting to see all these teams play, right? It's very, very exciting. It feels like football season is just in our grasp. And it is technically football season, but I mean, we're... We're close to seeing, like, real football. I'm not insulting preseason games, but let's be honest. No one no one is here to watch Kyle Trask versus Mike White, okay? No, one's, no one wants to watch that. We want to see the Tom Brady's versus Josh Allen's. We want to see the Patrick Mahomes versus Justin Herbert. You know, that's what we're here for. We don't want to see... What's a game that we've seen today or during this week? We've seen Drew Locke versus Mason Rudolph. Oh, boy. Like, no, we're not here to see that. And, you know, it's it, it's a great way to, you know, pass the time. But it just feels so close to, like, real football. And I like watching preseason football. There, again, it could be worse. There could be no football on And, you know, the important thing about preseason is seeing these young players, seeing these players start to stand out, you know? When you draft a player and that player does well in the preseason, that's normally a good sign. Because the question is always, whenever players get drafted, okay, they were good in college, but will they be able to play at an NFL level? And that's what the preseason tells you. That's what it's all about. The preseason, you finally see these players in action on your team against other NFL-level talent. So it's great, great to watch rookies prevail in preseason. And if they don't, oh well, it is what it is. I mean, they have many more years to get a hang of it. One bad preseason isn't the end of the world. So now is just a time to be optimistic, right? If your team loses in the preseason, so what? It's preseason. But whenever something good happens in preseason, you don't really hear people saying that. 
or sometimes you'll hear people say, oh, it's only preseason, I don't really care. But for the most part, when a player does well in preseason, people are like, oh, damn, you know, let's really hype this guy up. But it's very rare for you to hear, oh, this player didn't do well in preseason. So he sucks. Like, that's a rare thing to hear. So it's a very weird time of the year where everyone is super optimistic about their team. And they're basically just setting themselves up for disappointing, disappointment, right? So this is a very unique time of the year. And you rarely see this much optimism in the season. And most of this optimism roots from young players playing well in the preseason. And I'm going to go over my standout players from week one of the preseason. Now, they're not all rookies, but for the most part, these players are rookies, starting with George Karlaftis, a player that longtime listeners of the podcast would know. I'm extremely high on. I was extremely high on him. I had him as the third-ranked edge rusher in the draft class, and I still think that. I still think he's worse than Trayvon Walker, worse than Hutchinson, but then after that, this, this guy's a dog. This guy's a beast, freak of nature. Love him. Love him. Right? I absolutely love what George Karlaftis can be. In fact, I believe in late March, I might have had Karlaftis ahead of Trayvon Walker. I may be wrong, but I think that might have been what I had it as. Yeah, I believe I had Trayvon Walker. I'm going to have Trayvon Walker four, actually. I believe I did. I may have to look back at that episode after this. But George Karlaftis is an edge wrestler I'm extremely high on. Extremely high on. So seeing him play well in this game with the Chiefs makes me very, very happy, right? Because the super unique thing about Karlaftis is he will attempt to bull rush off the edge, do very well, but if that doesn't work on the 10% of the plays that that doesn't work, he is so good at quickly adjusting and then making a nice speed move in order to still get to the quarterback or still chase down the run play. Like, he is just great at shedding blocks. My only problem with Karlaftis is his sword arms, and that's not really his fault, but everything else is nearly perfect. This guy is a freak, and let me tell you, the Chiefs were really, really lucky to get him in the late first. He should have been a top 10 pick, if you ask me. I mean, this guy is phenomenal. So... Let's move over to a player you probably expected me to be talking about because how could I not? Kenny Pickett. Now, it seems like people give me this rap of a Kenny Pickett hater. And let me just say, I am not a Kenny Pickett hater. I do like Kenny Pickett. I think he's a franchise quarterback. Right? I say a lot of stuff about how the Steelers tend to draft him and that settling for mediocrity by drafting him. And I recently made a TikTok saying that he isn't very good so or no one is saying he's very good so he can't technically be overrated, which I made before the preseason uh, game he played in, where now I can understand an argument if you were to say he was overrated. Not that I'm saying he is, right? But I am not a Kenny Pickett hater. I do think he will never be like an elite quarterback in this league. And I do think he will continue 
to anchor down the Steelers team to borderline playoffs, barely missing playoffs for years. I do think that he is locking them into purgatory. But at the same time, this guy is a guaranteed franchise quarterback. Kenny Pickett, his floor is starting quarterback. His ceiling isn't too high, but he has a high floor. And that's what you got to love about him. I mean, you want to talk about a pro-ready quarterback, it's very rare to find someone more pro-ready than Kenny Pickett. Don't get me wrong. This is a good player. So seeing how he played in the preseason makes me happy, right? He's an NFL starter. In this game, he showed how pro-ready he is. I'm very glad to hear that because this is a pro-ready quarterback and he deserves to be seen as such. Now, speaking of quarterbacks that played well in this game, let's talk about Drew Locke. Locke was a quarterback that I was higher on than most during the uh, draft process. But then during his career with the Broncos, I got less and less optimistic. And this year I was really at a point where I wasn't expecting much from him. And I'm still not really. But I'll tell you this. In this preseason game, he looked good. He did. He looked good. He somehow found a way to keep that playmaking ability that we know Locke is capable of having. But he removed the stupid turnover-worthy plays. And by that, I mean the picks, right? Like, Drew Locke did have a fumble. Like, I'm, I'm very aware that Locke fumbled the ball. But at least he didn't have those stupid turnovers because Broncos fans know what I'm talking about, right? This guy, uh, during his career with the Broncos, he had some stupid, stupid turnovers through the air. And yes, he blamed himself for the fumble. Maybe he shouldn't have held the ball as long as he did. Fine. But I like to see at least when the ball is getting released from his hand, it's no longer a stupid interception. Because he didn't have any throws in that game, at least I've seen. From my recollection of it and, you know, in my experience watching the game, there wasn't a decision when the ball left his hand that I thought was wrong, that I thought was stupid. And that was the thing. Drew Locke, like, he's always kind of been a gunslinger, which is fine. But if you're going to be a gunslinger, you better be damn good at it. You better, even if the lows are low, you better have some high highs. Right, That is what it's about when you're a gunslinger. And Drew Locke, the, the lows have always outweighed the highs. But in this game, he seems to be like a new guy. He seems to be a lot more smart with the ball. Not perfect, but he seems to be more smart. And if he keeps this up, he won't just win the Seahawks starting quarterback spot over Geno Smith. He'll keep the Seahawks starting quarterback spot. He won't just get replaced after this year. He'll keep the spot. Now, there's one more player from this game that I basically have to talk about, and that is George Pickens. This guy is phenomenal. Anyone who watched his film would know this. George Pickens is very, very good. Anyone who watched him in Georgia would know. He was very good before those injuries. But... That's exactly the thing. The injuries, and there's just a lot of red flags with him, right? And that's why he fell. I hear so many people saying, oh, 
why did Kenny or why did George Pickens fall so far to Pittsburgh? How did he fall to the second round? Listen, these GMs knew George Pickens was a first round talent, but there was just so many red flags with the personality, with the injuries. I mean, that scared teams off. But despite all these red flags, this guy is a legit threat. This guy is a legit top-tier wide receiver. He has top-tier wide receiver upside. And in this game, he showed off this spectacular upside. The route running is amazing. The ball tracking ability, it does not get much better than that. And not to mention... He had a really, really, really nice block early in the game. I mean, I don't want to get the hopes too high, right? I I really don't. But I look at George Pickens. Let me tell you, in terms of even the red flags, too. Reminds you a lot of another Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver. Number 84, A.B., I mean, I'm just saying. Now, I know I'm getting the hopes up, but listen. If everyone else is allowed to walk around and say George Pickens for Offensive Rookie of the Year, I'm allowed to say he's kind of similar to Antonio Brown. Okay? I feel like that's fair. No. I am getting my hopes up. And like I said earlier in the podcast, that is what that is what preseason is for. To get your hopes up for no reason, just for them to get proven completely and utterly wrong and just the football gods to laugh in your face. I'm not saying this guy is going to have a Hall of Fame career like Antonio Brown, but I'm saying in terms of how he plays, in terms of what his red flags are that would make you kind of not want him on your team, very, very Antonio Brown-esque. The ball tracking. The hands, very nice. Route running, very good. And he's willing to, you know, get down and dirty. Like, that's the thing a lot of people forget about Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown was a good blocker, too. George Pickens, he seems to have all those checks, right? I'm not saying this guy is going to be the next Antonio Brown, but in terms of how he plays, he plays a lot like Antonio Brown. Very similar to what I was saying about Zach Wilson when he got drafted, right? Out of BYU, I was saying Zach Wilson. Now, Zach Wilson isn't going to be the next Patrick Mahomes, but in terms of how he plays, very similar. That's how I see George Pickens. I see him as kind of a discount AB. Is he going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year? No. Don't get your hopes up that high. But he's going to he's going to perform like a first-round pick, and there's going to be a lot of people saying, oh, how was George Pickens not picked in the first round? And they're just well, not going to be aware of how many red flags he has that are going to affect him long-term. Like, for the first two years, he's going to be a good wide receiver, but then you're going to start to notice, oh, shoot, this guy is doing stupid, stupid stuff, and his he's constantly getting injured and all that stuff. That's when it's really going to start to appear. But for the first two years, people are just going to be so stunned by the talent, they're going to forget about the intangibles. Now, another player that is not a rookie, Joshua Kelly. This is a player I'm not really hearing many people talk about, but he had a pretty damn good performance in this game. He had 44 yards on six carries, which I know doesn't sound, oh my God, that's insane, but that's a good stat line. And if you saw the game, 
you would know he had to work for every single one of those 44 yards. Every single yard. He had to work for it. He had to fight for it. I mean, if Eckler goes down, they're still in good hands. Kelly is a good running back. Very good. I mean, that first drive was literally all him. All him. Whether it was through the air or they just kept running the ball with him. You watch that first drive of the game, they just kept feeding him the ball. Kept on doing it. Joshua Kelly, and here's the thing too, he doesn't really fit any specific mold. He's kind of good at both. He's elusive and powerful. He does both. He'll push the pile, and he'll also make that quick cut to get into the open lane. You know, he's good at everything, and then he's also a receiving threat. You got to love a player like that. You got to love it. And the last standout player from week one of the preseason that I want to talk about, or sorry, second to last, Tyler Johnson, wide receiver on Tampa Bay. The thing that sucks is that Tyler Johnson is not going to carve himself out like a large role with this team, at least this year, right? There's no shot that that happens because they have Julio Jones, Russell Gage, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and then... Even in terms of depth, guys, they got more than enough depth, right? Scotty Miller. But despite how deep that Buccaneers receiver core is, Tyler Johnson has to find himself as one of the contributing players in that receiver room because games like this, he proved he can probably be a wide receiver three for a team, let alone the what you got. Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Julio Jones, Russell Gage. Then him, maybe you'll even put Scotty Miller ahead of him. So he's the sixth or fifth best receiver on his team, right? And I think some teams would settle for having him as the wide receiver three. Maybe not even settle. Some teams would love for him to be the wide receiver three. Love it. And he's their fifth or sixth best wide receiver. That is insanity. And maybe you're thinking, oh, he he can't be that good. Again, this preseason game proved he is that good. And I know preseason. I I get it. But I'm not saying this guy's like one of the best receivers in football because of a preseason game. I'm saying that he played well enough and showed off the talent enough to a point where teams should maybe start looking into, well, maybe I want to get this guy. You know, the Buccaneers aren't using him. Maybe I'll throw them a seventh rounder. And try and bring in this new guy. And let's not act like it was only preseason performance because the guy has also proven to be somewhat important for this Buccaneers team in the actual season. He's played a role for them in the playoffs. He's played a role for them. I'm pretty sure last year he had around 400 yards. Again, not a crazy good receiver, but in this preseason game, he proved he should have a role on a team, a way more significant role than the role he has on the Buccaneers. And then the last player I want to talk about. And we are back. You're listening to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Seifer, and I hope that you're all enjoying so far. I'm just going to jump right into it. Takeaways from the first week of preseason games. I'm going to start with Trevor Lawrence already taking huge strides in Doug Peterson's offense. Now, Trevor Lawrence, we all knew 
Urban Meyer had no idea what to do with him. No idea whatsoever. It was without a doubt. Everyone knew this. It became very clear by, I don't know, week five that Urban Meyer was completely incompetent and wasting Trevor Lawrence's rookie year. Doug Peterson, on the other, on the other hand, this is a coach that has won a Super Bowl before, and he made Carson Wentz a quarterback that I could argue was pretty similar to Trevor Lawrence. Look, very good. I'm not saying that Carson Wentz is so bad that he needs Doug Peterson in order to look good, but I'm saying Doug Peterson knows how to make these playmaker, physically talented, kind of gunslinger mentality quarterbacks look a lot better. Now, Trevor Lawrence isn't the most, like, textbook gunslinger, like, Brett Favre-like, but I would say there is the occasional play where Trevor Lawrence is, like, rolling out, and, you know, he's clearly under pressure, and he should probably throw it out of bounds, but instead he tries to rifle a ball in because he has the physical ability to do it, and that ends up being a pick, or it ends up being an incompletion. And he does that stuff on first down, right? I feel like that's the stuff Carson Wentz used to do and still does. And Doug Peterson knows how to deal with that. Doug Peterson how, knows how to train these quarterbacks to understand the difference between when they need to force a play and when they can just execute, make a methodical drive go down the field, you know? Doug Peterson knows the difference between that, and they know him. And he knows how to make these quarterbacks execute the offense in a way that he would like. Doug Peterson likes to constantly call these RPOs that are very easy on a quarterback, and they work very well in this spread scheme. And then Travis Etienne, he's starting to kind of carve out a role way more than last year, even though I know last year he was injured. And we don't honestly, we're not very sure how much Travis Etienne would have been on the field. But compared to what we all thought, I think he's on the field much more. I thought James Robinson would have a little bit more of a role on the offense. I know it was only one drive with the first team out there, but, you know, I, I was expecting a little bit more James Robinson, and it kind of sucks because James Robinson is one of my favorite players. But if they like ETN, no reason for them not to just have him as the bell cow and no reason for them not to just leave him on the field at all times. Then Evan Ingram caught a touchdown. Very, very good for him. Zay Jones, he's going to be an important player on this offense, and Kristen Kirk too, the two new additions in the receiver core. Then I'm hoping LaVisca Chenault does way more because last year he was a no-show, absolutely nothing for the team. I'm hoping to see a lot more from him because he had a pretty damn good rookie year. So this Jaguar team just looks a lot better with Doug Peterson at the helm. Now let's talk about the Ravens and Titans game. My takeaway from this is that the Ravens rookies that they drafted later in the draft, not their first round guys, not even their second round guys, but their rookies that they drafted late are already looking very, very damn good. Travis Jones and Isaiah Likely looked very good. I believe Isaiah Likely had, he had more than 40 yards up. 
know that for a fact. I believe he had 44, exactly. Uh, and there was one play specifically where he caught the ball like over a player's head, or maybe it was behind the player's head. But either way, it was a difficult catch to go down with, and he came down with it. Isaiah likely I, – I can't really tell if he's going to replace Nick Boyle when his contract runs out because he's not really similar to Nick Boyle. But no shot they drafted someone to replace Mark Andrews, right? So maybe he's kind of just injury replacement. Maybe that's him. Or maybe they do want a receiving tight end to replace Nick Boyle, and maybe they want to try a new style of offense. But I think Nick Boyle and what he does in the run game – is so important to that team. But anyway, Isaiah likely he is a very nice weapon to have on your team, and he showed that in this preseason game. He's going to establish himself as an important piece of what the Ravens like to do in terms of their personnel. They run a lot of 12 personnel, a lot, okay? So having another receiving weapon at tight end, no problem there. And then Travis Jones. This is a kid I was very high on. UConn defensive tackle. Really, really like him. And he had a sack. And he consistently clogged running lanes, and that's what you like to see from the guy. You know, that is your main job as a defensive tackle. I don't care how many sacks you get. Your main job as a defensive tackle is to stop the run, and he clogged the gaps very, very well. That was what he did at UConn. And it kind of sucks he got overshadowed by Jordan Davis. It does. Because... Travis Jones is another physical freak on the defensive line. So it sucks that he was, you know, overshadowed by Jordan Davis. It does. But luckily for the Ravens, that led to him falling all the way to the, the I believe, 74th overall pick where they got an absolute steal. And even after this preseason game, I bet every team is saying, damn, really wish we got him. And then another player that kind of stood out, was their undrafted rookie, Makai Pulte. I hope I pronounced that right. This is a wide receiver who, again, undrafted, so not many people knew of him before this game, but he got, I believe, 66 yards on the dot, played a very nice role on this offense with Tyler Huntley thrown in the ball, with Brett Huntley, I'm pretty sure, throwing a couple of passes. And he looked very nice. Now, I'm not expecting this kid to all of a sudden be one of their leading receivers because, again, undrafted free agent. Like I said, no one really knew about him before the draft or even before this preseason game. But he could be a nice depth piece when they need a new wide receiver out there on the field. Maybe he's their wide receiver four, maybe five, but still, nice depth piece. More than anyone was expecting for this kid, I'm telling you that much. So now let's move over to a takeaway from the Browns game. And for that, I have a pretty simple one. And I'm glad that I finally get to talk about Deshaun Watson from a football perspective. His Browns debut was very lackluster, and it's extremely overshadowed by all the drama surrounding it. And I get it. But let's talk about it from a football perspective like I always like to do. This is a player that went one for five with seven yards, and the offense failed to generate a single first down with him in the game. Again, preseason, I'm not overly worried, but 
imagine how bad it would be for Cleveland if not only does this kid get suspended, but when he returns, he sucks. What happens then? What happens if they're paying this player the most guaranteed money in a contract of all time just for him to get suspended and then come back and be nothing more than a shadow of his former self? What happens then? I mean, Cleveland, that would be the most Cleveland thing of all time. That would honestly be the biggest Cleveland Browns moment ever. That would be the most Cleveland Browns thing possible if that happens. And again, extreme overreaction to a single preseason game, I know. But still, as of right now, in his Browns debut, debut leaves a very, very bad taste in my mouth. And I hope he proves me wrong. I really do, because Cleveland fans had enough suffering. But so far, not looking too hot at all. Unlikely that he's this bad, that he continues to be this bad. But you never know. Now, let's talk about something that I kind of talked about already, but I want to talk about it more. The Chiefs' defensive line is absolutely killer. And I know I talked about it by talking about Carl Laftis, but now I want to talk about the other defensive line on that team, right? You got Chris Jones, who is obviously a demon, like everyone knows this, but then Frank Clark, he wasn't in the game long, but in the few snaps he played, he looked like the Frank Clark that used to be a kind of big name. The Frank Clark that used to be seen as that Dominant edge, or not dominant, but that pretty damn good edge to pair with a absolute unit in Chris Jones. But now there's a chance that you got that version of Frank Clark that looks pretty damn good with a beast Chris Jones and then George Karlaftis. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And then as death pieces, you got some other players that look pretty good in the preseason game. With Taylor Stallworth. You know, this team as a whole is just phenomenal, right? I've been talking for a long time that this Chiefs team is still the best team in football. I've been saying that for a while. And the big reason for that, despite what most people may believe, isn't even the – it's not even that they have – this incredible offense anymore. They're no longer that team that, you know, will kill you offensively and you have to go for it every fourth down in order to beat them. That's not this team anymore. Now, I think it's going to be less high scoring, but I think the defense is going to be a really, really good unit. The defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnuolo, does a great job. Great, great, great job. And he does not get enough credit for what he does. I mean, he is really, really good at his job. And now you're giving him players like Leo Chanel. And then, like I said, that defensive line, another player to add depth to that team, along with Taylor Stallworth is Kalen Saunders. Another depth piece defensive lineman who played very well in the preseason game. And then, like I said, you got Leo Chanel as a linebacker. You got Nick Bolton, another linebacker. You got Justin Reed up top with Juan Thornhill, who I really like. 
And then they also drafted the – what's his face? The defensive back. Can't remember his name for the life of me right now. Trey McDuffie. And then Legereus Sneed on the other side. This is a very, very threatening unit. Very threatening. And then Derek Nandi. I can't pronounce that last name for the life of me, but he's a very solid defensive tackle to rotate in there. Just overall, you look at this defense from front to bottom, there's not really much to not like. There, everything about it, personally, I love. Almost everything about it, I absolutely love. Because as the front forward, you got Karlaftis, Jones, Frank Clark, and then a rotation of multiple guys as at the fourth spot, rotation of Taylor Stallworth, Kalen Saunders, Derek Nandi. Then at the linebacker spot, you got Nick Bolton, Leo Chanel, who I love. And then that third linebacker spot is kind of up in the air. But none of those guys are really loved. That is probably the one spot that I'm like, eh, you know, I would like to get someone better in there. But all the other strengths of this team kind of make up for that. Then you look at the cornerback duo. Trent McDuffie and Legereus Need love it. And then Rashad Fenton as the slot corner, that's solid. And then the safeties. Justin Reed, Juan Thornhill, love those two. Brian Cook, he is a pretty solid safety, or at least that's what I like to think. I liked him in Cincinnati. He was a good prospect coming out. And I think with time, he's going to develop into a very helpful more than just death piece, he could win a starting spot in the future. But as of right now, I like him as a death piece. This defense as a whole, you got to love it. And then Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator, does an amazing job. I really do think so. And, of course, the, the offense is great. You got Patrick Mahomes. That's really all I need to say. So, yeah. This defensive line is not only good with the starters. They have some depth. They have a lot of depth, and that's something to love. That's something to love, and I'm glad that Carl Laftis is already showing out. Now, for my next takeaway, I want to talk about the Colts, and something that surprises me a little bit, their defense isn't slowing down at all despite the loss of Matt Eberflus. Now, I expected a little bit of a learning curve there. I expected a little bit, you know, they replaced Matt Eberflus with Gus Bradley, which is a very similar – they both run very similar defenses, very similar. It's both cover three heavy, a lot of zone coverage, so it's very similar. But I was still expecting a little bit more of like an adaption period. I didn't expect them to start balling out defensively right away. And, again, it's preseason, but still, they got five turnovers in this game. Are you kidding me? That's insanity. Five turnovers, two of which in the first quarter – Bradley's already doing a great job. Gus Bradley is already doing a great job. I'm very excited to see how this defense is going to look at the start of the year when their starters are playing the entire game and not just a couple of drives. Well, Stephon Gilmore's there now. Of course, Shaquille Leonard, got to love him. He's personally my favorite player in the league right now. And then you got Kenny Moore as the slot corner, probably the best slot corner in football. I don't really think... Trying to think, who else would like be in that discussion, right? I, I don't really think that there is anyone else that you could really throw in there, huh? Yeah, I, I think he's far and away probably the best slot corner in football. Unless I'm forgetting someone right now. And then 
Of course, you got DeForest Buckner, amazing defensive tackle. Quiddy Pay, I think, is going to break out. This defense is going to be a spectacular unit. I'm telling you that. And, again, I'm, I'm just surprised that they didn't slow down at all after losing such a highly regarded defensive coordinator like Matt Eberflus. And, again, Brad, Gus Bradley's good. He's respected. He's been in the league for a long time. But I'm just surprised by how quickly he was able to just be like, okay, you're just as good. This defense is just as good. You're not slowing down at all. I'm just surprised that they didn't have to take a period to adapt. And I know similar defense, but you think at least a little bit of adaption would be necessarily, but but it really just wasn't. Now, my next takeaway, Gibson just very clearly isn't seen highly by the commanders. They just very clearly want to take him on that shopping block. They don't like him. It's very clear, and you can't really blame them. They held him on a short lease. They held him on a very short lease in the playoff game. Or, sorry, in this preseason game. Only one fumble, and then they benched him for the rest of the game. And now he's on the third. Now he's taking reps with the third string. And the punt team, I mean, you know, that's worrying. This is a guy that just two years ago we were saying, oh, he's going to be big for this commander's team. But now he's getting benched for Brian Robinson. And Brian Robinson looked pretty good, but still. Point is, commanders are just so quick to just flip the switch switch on him and just be like, okay, on to the next guy. Just very surprised by that. Very surprised. And some may think that's deserved, but I don't know. I don't think it's smart for them to just abandon him this quickly. Even if you don't want to have him at running back, this is a player that played receiver in college. Why not try him out there? Maybe you didn't even need to draft Jahan Dotson with a first-round pick. Maybe Antonio Gibson could have been that slot receiver. You don't know. I feel like instead of just moving him to that third string team, I feel like they should have tried some new stuff with him or at least just kept giving him chances at running back. I don't get why they were so quick to move on from him. Really doesn't make sense to me. And the last thing that I want to talk about, kind of a minuscule topic because it's just about backup quarterbacks, but still, the last thing I want to say, is that Kellen Mond is way, 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 way better than Sean Mannion. Even though the stats were kind of close, the windows that Kellen Mond is throwing into are not even remotely close to the windows that Sean Mannion is throwing to. Kellen Mond is making some very difficult throws. Very difficult. Mannion, you know, he's a fine third string. Kellen Mond is just way better. It was so clear on that film. I mean... They both kind of struggle in terms of the decision-making and a little bit of the accuracy with, you know, these wide-open players. You know, they would miss them sometimes. But that's both of them is the thing. It's not like Sean Mannion is consistently getting the wide-open players and Kellen Mond, he'll make plays, but he won't get the wide-open guys. No. Mannion may be a little bit better at that, but it's so minuscule. They both are not overly good at it, but Mond is more of a playmaker I think that Mond is just way better. I, I really don't think that's debatable. I really don't think so. I hope O'Connell notices this too. But anyway, sorry that this was a short episode. But, you know, I'm going into double sessions na- next week, so I need to start mentally preparing for that. If you want more content, check out No Huddle NFL on TikTok or Instagram or both. 
And then also I have a Twitter at NoHuddleNFL underscore. I hope that you enjoy the episode, and I'll see you next week.